The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. Well, it's so good to see you all. So grateful that you've come out to worship God together with our church family and to celebrate the good news of our Savior, Jesus Christ, being born. Whether you're here in the room or whether you're out in the commons area or joining us online, just wanted to say good morning and just so grateful that you've come hopefully hungry, ready to hear something from Scripture, from truth that will impact and change your life. Over the past few weeks, we have been going through a family uh, devotional book as we started uh, the Advent season, and we made these available to our church for a few weeks uh, back in November uh, to try to get as many people as we could one of these in their hand, and hopefully you've been using these. I know some of you have actually brought them with you to church, and I think that that's cool, and we've been opening up every one of these messages in this series with the devotional for the day. So if you brought your devotional with you and you want to follow along, we're on page 105 today, December 16th, and I'm going to read this today. The title is Signs Everywhere, and there's a reading from Luke chapter 2 and verse 12, where scripture says, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. The sweet, tiny babe who made his human entry into our world was long awaited and gladly welcomed. He was a breathing, growing, smiling sign of God's love for all who would receive him. But God wasn't quite done. He sends us other signs today, signs to guide, equip, inspire, and support us and our families in everything we do. We have a sign of God's grace in the loving people who forgive us and help us when we fail. We have a sign of his faith in us in the second, third, or 73rd chance that he gives us to follow his will. We have a sign of his delight in us in the joys we experience in our lives, including our family time at Christmas and beyond. When we pay attention to God's signs, we'll be as amazed as the shepherds, blown away but steadied to the core by his limitless generosity and unfailing ability to speak to us and give us what we need. Let's keep looking. And let's also take note of the opportunities to be a sign of God's love to those around us at home, school, work, and play. Encouragement, support, forgiveness, courage, understanding, every good and God-inspired gift we give is a sign of Him to those who need Him. Let's keep looking. Christmas, past or beyond, the signs just keep coming and gifts abound. In all of these devotionals, there's also a prayer. So I would invite you all to repeat after me as we say this prayer together. Father, thank you for your signs and the chance to be one. And please help us not to miss any. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, today's devotion talks about how we have received God's grace and how we can be used as a sign to display God's grace to other people. And when we love others with the love of God, we can be the answer to someone's prayer. When we are obedient to be generous with what God puts on our hearts, we can be the answer to someone else's prayer. When we give grace to another person, we can be the answer to someone's prayer. And I want you to take a moment and think about situations where perhaps you've been asking God or petitioning God to move or intervene in a situation in your life. And I want you to think about that for a moment, because we all have things that we're saying, God, I need wisdom in this, or I need help in this clarity, direction, whatever the case may be, healing, or whatever, peace, joy. Think about that for a minute, and, and then have you considered 
doing that thing for someone else. Because we are conduits, not containers. And this idea has to get inside of us. This has to become part of our value system. Otherwise, we will think this whole thing is about us and we'll miss it. We are conduits, not containers. It's great and it's awesome when God does something for us and does something to us and in us. But that's not the end of the story where it just stops with us, where all of a sudden we are grateful, we're thankful to God, and then that's it, game over. We just stop. No, we're supposed to be conduits. So that means anything God does in me or that he does to me, he wants to also use me as a vessel to begin to share that with other people. In other words, it's really not about us. We need to understand that we get to participate in God's kingdom agenda. And when we're willing to be obedient to his guiding, to his direction, he invites us. It's like God has given us a personal invitation. And the funny thing is, is he doesn't do it because he needs us necessarily. It's not that God is needy or lacking or, or he must have human involvement to accomplish what he wants to do because God is big enough to do this whole thing on his own. But he chooses to invite us in because when he invites us in and we humbly say, yes, Lord, here am I. I'll be available. I'll be willing to do whatever you want me to do. And we raise our hand and we'll inconvenience ourselves for a cause bigger than ourselves. God gets the glory for that. That points people to Jesus. It should point people to how awesome it is to be able to serve God, to live for him. Let's go over to the book of Colossians chapter 3, and let's look at what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. We're going to read Colossians 3, 12 through 17, where Paul writes this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thankfulness to your hearts, in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I want us to think about that for a minute because that should help us to understand this. It's not about you. Think about it. It's not about you. It's not about me. This life is not about us. It's about us living for the glory of God. We are vessels. We are instruments. And it's about us being used, rather, for the purpose and glory of God. And we get to be a part of that. This whole thing is for His glory. And he, he, he delights in us saying, yes, Lord, here I am. What do you want me to do? What are you asking me to do? How can you flow through me to where I don't make this whole thing about what I can get from God? So if I make this thing all about me, it's so easy for me to just think that I'm the end of this deal. 
But God says, no, there's a greater thing I have in mind, and he wants to use us, and we get to participate, and we get to be a part of what he wants to do in the earth. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. We'll read 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 9, where the apostle Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Here Paul's writing to the church in Corinth because these people were arguing over whose baptism was more significant. How petty is this? They're arguing over the fact that some of the Christians were baptized under a guy named Apollos, all right? It's like, you know, not Rocky Apollo, you know, it's not like, this guy was a teacher and he was teaching Christ to people and he was a good teacher. He had gained quite a following because of the teaching of, of who Christ was and people were being discipled under Apollos' ministry. And Apollos was baptizing people and people thought it was a pretty big deal to be baptized under this guy's ministry. But then there were those who they really thought it was special and significant to be baptized under the Apostle Paul's ministry. Oh, Paul's the guy who baptized me. And these Corinthians were arguing over whose baptism was more significant. And Paul's like, no, no, no. You you guys are arguing over something so petty and so foolish. And so he writes this portion of the letter to the church in Corinth. And he says, it's not about Apollos. It's not about Paul. He said, I may plant, he may water, but it's really God who gives the increase. I'm just a vessel. We're all God's field. This is not about me trying to make a name for myself. It's about me doing my role and the part that I'm supposed to play with the gifts that I've been given. And so if that's to water, great. If that's to plant, then that's great. I'm going to be faithful and be available and be doing that in a regular sacrificial God-honoring way that draws attention to Jesus, not to Paul or Apollos. That's not what we're trying to do here. And he said, this is the heart that we need to have. This is what it really needs to be about, that we understand our role, that you have a role, that I have a role. My role is that God has gifted me and called me to be able to teach scripture, to be able to lead and to be a pastor. That's what he's called me to do. That's my role. And it's not any more significant than anyone else's role or gifts. God doesn't go, oh, you're on the A team. Everybody else is on the B team. It's JVers after pastor. No, that's not the way this thing works. That's just my role. That's my gift, and I'm using my gift. And, and the difference is, is that you guys get to come and experience and see my gift all the time. There may be people that don't get to experience your gift in large settings, and that's okay. That doesn't mean just because someone's gift is being displayed in a larger setting and someone else's gift may not be displayed in public at all, that the one in public is more significant. It doesn't mean that the person that attracts the larger crowd is more significant. No, we have to be obedient and available and say, yes, Lord, I'll be used in my role. It doesn't matter if your role is teaching kids. It doesn't matter if your role is praying in your closet and no one even knows that you're praying for them. Some people plant, some people water, but God gives the increase because I can't change a heart. You can't change a heart. Only God can do that. So either I need to recognize my place and recognize what I get to be a part of, and I need to understand that if I need to plant, I need to plant faithfully. If I need to water, I need to water faithfully, but I can't change anyone. I'm not that great. 
and neither are you. None of us are that great. That's not our role. God never says the results are up to you. No, your job is just to be faithful. Your job is to use the gifts and the calling that he's given you to just be able to say, yes, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because this life that we live should span way beyond Sunday morning. As we just read in Colossians, he said, everything you do, do it as unto the Lord. Everything. He doesn't mean just Sunday morning where we have this idea of just compartmentalizing our walk with God where we do God over here. Like this is our like God section of our life. And we're just going to be a Christ follower on Sunday between these hours or when I'm at a Bible study or when I do my devotion in the morning and then we just check out from God. No, that shouldn't be the way we as Christ followers live. It should be everything we do is touched and affected and led and guided by the fact that we are following Jesus, not just following Jesus a little bit or that he can just have a part of us, a portion of us. Because think about other roles that we have in life. I don't get to just decide when I'm going to stop being a husband. I'm just going to be a husband between the hours of, you know, five and eight. And I'm only going to do it on certain days of the week. But then after that, I'm punching out. I'm clocking out. I'm, I'm done with the whole husband thing for the rest of the week. That wouldn't fly too well in my house. I don't know about yours. I can't just punch out of being a father. Oh, I'm only going to be a father between these days of the week on this time, and that's, that's the time that I'm a father. But then the rest of the time, I'm not a father. No, it's part of who I am. Are, are you hearing this this morning? And when we say we are a Christ follower, I'm not just a Christ follower between 1045 and noon once a week on Sunday or just between 7 and 730 in my devotional time during the week. No, I am a follower of Christ every single day. And because he has called me, I now have been affected. Every single area of my life is affected by the priority of Christ. And I realize that this is not about me. This is not something I'm doing just for myself. I'm a conduit, not, con not a container. Scripture says that freely you have received, so freely give. If I've freely received anything from God, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's joy, whether it's peace, whether it's contentment, whether it's wisdom, whatever I may have received, man, that's not just for me. Do I benefit from it? You bet. Praise God for that. But that's not the goal. Now I become a light. I become a conduit. So that the good things that God does in me and through me, now I can be a light for him. And I can share those things with other people. So that means God has called me to model those things and do those things in the relationships that he's given me. Just as you see on the big red wall when you walk in this building, love God, love people, and serve the world. When we begin to love God and grow in our love for him, we're going to love what God naturally loves. And what does God naturally love? He loves people. For God so loved the world that he gave. His only begotten son. And because he loves people, man, and we should love people. And that love should compel me to do something. It should compel me to want to serve, to give. Give them what? Because I don't really have anything too special to give. You know what? I have the best gift that I've ever been given. I can give them the same love of God that he gave to me. And so as I give them that kind of love, then they begin to love God. And then all of a sudden, they begin to love what God loves. And they love people, and then they begin to want to serve. And they serve others with the love of God. And you see how this works? And on and on it goes. This is a song that doesn't end. And it just keeps going round and round and round. And it's a beautiful thing, and it's a testimony of the goodness of God when his people are willing to say, yes, Lord, 
use me, I'm available because it's not about us. And we are called to live in light of eternity. This means to be listening to what the Spirit of God is saying to us, to what the Spirit of God is leading us to do, guiding us in our everyday lives. And not only should we be attentive, but we should also obey when prompted to do something for God because eternity matters more than my comfort. I'm going to say that slow so I can say that some more because somebody needs to hear that this morning. Eternity matters more than my comfort. Man, we love prioritizing our own comfort, do we not? But you never know who God is trying to reach by you being willing to make yourself uncomfortable. As I look throughout the Bible and I read stories, a lot of those things that I see God using people in, they don't necessarily make sense to everyone else. Matter of fact, some of those are pretty strange. And it's not necessarily a convenient thing or a comfortable thing. But it's a trust thing where these people had to trust God, even in some of the strangest asks that God made of people, saying, will you do this? Will you trust me? Some of the strangest commands that he gives to see the hand of God move requires trust. And it's not always convenient. It's not always comfortable. But man, God has done some big things in some really strange situations, if you read Scripture. And it's never the way we thought that it would have went down. And if we tried to control it and make it our way, it probably wouldn't have turned out the way that it ended up turning out. Hey, there's a little shepherd boy. Let's make him king. Oh, get some stones. Throw them at a big giant. It's going to kill him. It's going to set everybody free. It's going to be awesome. That's weird. That doesn't make sense. No one calculated that. It wasn't like David was like, man, I got to prep for giant killing day. I got to get all this stuff ready because one of these days, no, he just trusted God and he used what he had. What about Moses? God says, why don't you stretch out your staff? And then the waters part. So the children of Israel walked across the bottom of the Red Sea on dry ground. Do you think there was a thought in his head going, what if this doesn't work? Like, I'm just standing there with a stick, right? No, he had to trust. And he had to obey. But that's weird because when have you ever held up a stick and the waters parted for anything? I wish that would happen sometimes in the swimming pool when my kids lose their goggles be a lot easier to get them. <laughs> I just got out of everything. <laughs> but it's strange. It doesn't make sense. Some of the things we see in Scripture, God using a man who used to persecute Christians professionally. He was super good at it, and he was known for it. And God says, yeah, I pick him to write two-thirds of the New Testament. It doesn't make sense. That doesn't add up. We, we would have picked a better person. But no, God had a path. God had a plan. And all we have to do is say, yes, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to use the gifts you've given me? Help me discover the gifts you've given me. Help me to grow. Help me to trust you more. And that's why we need to listen to the Spirit of God because he's leading us and guiding us. That's why we need to be attentive and when we're prompted to do something, to be obedient, and I promise you, it will make you uncomfortable. You can bet on it. That's probably a really good sign that it's God, as if it makes you uncomfortable. Could you imagine Mary? Could you think about Mary, the mother of Jesus? Think about her for a minute. Here's a lady. She was a virgin. She's engaged to be married, and then she turns up pregnant. It was God. <laughs> I promise yeah, right. How hard of a story would that have been to sell? That's tough. 
That's tough. That's a hard thing. That woman must have been talked about, gossiped about. I mean, even her husband was afraid to marry her because of the gossip that was going around, and he didn't want to be associated with someone who had already been unfaithful. And he wanted to say, no, it wasn't me. It's not, it's not the child I fathered. But yet they still had to trust God, and God took care of them through the whole thing. And she just said, Lord, let it be done as you said. What a powerful thing when we trust in God. And we don't always get to see the results of our investment. When we're living in light of eternity and we're, we're, we're saying yes to the things God tells us to do, it would be a lot easier if we always got to see the end result of our investment. I mean, you don't know what God is calling you to do. You could be an answer to someone's prayer, or you could be some sort of of, a prerequisite uh, where something you do or something you say sets something up for the next person to say something. That's why some plant some water, but it's God that gives the increase. And sometimes God blesses us to be able to see the end result. It's like I hear parents sometimes saying that, you know, they bring their kids to church or they do devotions with them at home or they pray with them, and then one day... They hear their child in their room by themselves and they're saying prayers and they're talking to God. Or they see their child opening their Bible or something like that and it blows the parents' minds. Uh, the rest of us look and go, oh, that's, that's sweet, but to the parent, that's huge. And they go, wow, the investment has been worth it. Or maybe, maybe they were put in a precarious situation and they made a good decision and, and it was because of the investment that was made or they were able to work through a very tough time. And you kind of watch that from the outside. You get to see just a little bit of the fruit of the investment that you've made. We don't always get the benefit of seeing that. And so sometimes it gets discouraging because we ask the question, is it worth the investment? And the enemy wants to whisper in your ear and go, it's not worth it. See, nothing's changing. Nothing's happening. You've tried this and tried this and your marriage is still rocky. You've tried this and you've tried that and and you still can't get all your stuff together. You still can't figure the situation out. It's not worth it. Why don't you just give up because it's obviously not working. The enemy loves to whisper those things into our ears. But God, he's working behind the scenes and we don't always see it. And we don't always know it. That's why it's not our job to bring the increase, to bring the answer. It's just our job to plant and water. And God does that. And the reason God does that is because God brings about the change so we don't get to take credit. So we can't go, look at me. Look at what I did. (laughs) Look at how great I am. Look at how awesome I am. God's like, no, no, no. We, We have to stop being glory hogs and glory thieves. Because all the glory belongs to him, amen? And if we really believe it all belongs to him, then let's not look for the accolades, but let's instead point people to Jesus instead. And say, Lord, it's it's, it's not about me. It's about you. And I want to be that conduit, not that container. I want to live in light of eternity. I want to live a life that matters because everything we do here on this earth is impacting eternity, and we may not see how eternity is being impacted by the investment that we make. I know that I I don't know what all God is doing in you and what all he's working in you, but I do know that God wants to use you and he wants you to be available because we get to participate in what he's doing. And we don't have to know the outcome to know that our obedience and our availability is making an impact on the kingdom. You may not see it, but I promise you, your faithfulness, your obedience in some way, shape, or form, is making an impact. And it's for the glory of God, not for the attention of you. Hello, somebody. 
1 Corinthians 10 and 31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, in all things, let all this be for the glory of God. And obedience is the key here. Obedience is the key to living in light of eternity because God directs you. He moves on your heart. And how do you respond when he does that? Often he's going to ask you to do something uncomfortable, something that will be a sacrifice, something that may not make sense. That's kind of a pattern we've seen of God in Scripture. He does things his way, but he does it in a way to let you know that it's him, and it requires that you trust him. Lord, I just don't have time in my schedule to be able to say yes, but I feel compelled to say yes to this thing you're asking me to do. I know it doesn't make sense on pen and paper, but you need to say yes to that thing and trust God with the rest. Because if you seek first the kingdom of God and you prioritize the leading and the direction of God, he'll help all all that other stuff make sense. I don't know how we're going to do this. God does. Do you have that strong knowing in you where you know God is leading you to do something or there's an opportunity in front of you? And you're like, I want to say yes to this opportunity so bad. Oh, my heart is compelled. I'm overwhelmed and I want to say yes, but I just, I don't know if I'm ready. But God's put that desire in you, man. What are you going to do with it? You're just going to wait till everything gets sorted out and, and everything's just perfect? Man, we're, <laughs> I'm about to mess with people. We didn't do that when we got married. <laughs> no, one, no one had everything figured out before they got married, did they? We made a lifelong commitment to someone, and we did not know what we were getting into. <laughs> we thought we knew. There was risk involved. There was trust involved. There was faith involved. Because we had to trust that this person would be faithful, that they were who they said they were, and that the commitments we made to each other, that we were going to see those things through. And because we trusted that, we jumped into what we did not know. And we didn't know how it was going to turn out. We, we, we had hopes, and we had thoughts, and we had dreams, but we didn't have a guarantee because we didn't know how it was all going to go. And we've gone through ups and downs in marriage, haven't we, those of you who are married? And we've gone through those ups and downs because sometimes our expectations got met or exceeded, and sometimes they didn't. Sometimes our expectations were too far from reality, and, and all of a sudden we, 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 we get very discouraged. And God is asking us to trust Him. But the thing is, is that God is not a fallible human like our spouse is. God is perfect in every way, and he's faithful. And he's going to be faithful to you, and he wants to use you for his kingdom. And he wants to use you for his glory, to point other people to Jesus, to the good news of the gospel. And he's given you gifts, and he's given you abilities, and and, and talents, and influence. And he's given you all these things that, that he's blessed you with. And it's not just for you. That when, when we think it's all just for us to enjoy on our own, we're missing the bigger picture. We need to see further down the road. There are people, they're just naturally good at stuff. Don't those people drive you like nuts? 
When someone's good at something naturally that you wish you were good at, but they're like awesome at it and they don't even have to try, and you're like, that's not fair. Why is that? Why, how come that person does that? Why, why are they always this person that when they walk in the room, they always make 10 friends and I feel like I just struggle making those connections? That person has a gift. How come that whenever some people, they can look at a problem and they can just meticulously look and go, oh, I know the process that we need to put in place to be able to fix that problem. And the other person's banging their head against the wall, freaking out, not knowing what to do. I look at that, that's not fair. And I go, wow, that person has a gift. Instead of me looking at others as competition, why don't I instead honor the gift that God has given them and say, this person is really good at this, and I don't want to be intimidated by their gift, but rather I want to celebrate their gift. But are they using their gift for the glory of God? Are are you using your gifts? Whatever you do, do it as unto the glory of God. And that's how we live a life of worship. Every day and in everything, we can live a life not only that pleases God in our conduct, but also in a way that actually impacts eternity, in a way that's sacrificial. And I want you to think about this, because we need to be willing to give up what we believe for the truth. And when we see the truth presented, if God shows us in Scripture where there's truth there, but we've just adopted a bad belief, we need to be willing to give that thing up and say, okay, Lord, not my way, but your way, right? In light of that statement, I want us to think about how we have viewed following Christ. A lot of us have perhaps grown up thinking that Christianity and following Jesus was just about being a good person. We just think it's about being a nice person. I'll be a good neighbor. I'll be a good employee. I'll show up on time early, you know, work late. I'll try to be a good husband, good wife, be a good mother, good father. I'll try to be generous with my resources when I can and just, you know, help out in the community, give to some really causes that that move on my heart and just try to, you know, live with a high moral standard. And all those things are good. I'm not trashing or knocking any of those things. But listen, if we just think the goal is just to live a good, clean, moral life, we're missing the bigger picture of impacting eternity. Because there's so much more to Christianity than you just being a good neighbor and being a nice person and having high moral values. Those things are important, but that's not the end of this because we've got a mission. And God has put something on the inside of you that he wants to use for his glory. Because here's what happens. The danger in people thinking that that is all there is to Christianity is that when they look at the rest of the world and they kind of begin to judge themselves and go, well, compared to everyone else at work, I'm doing pretty good, so I must be okay. So we stop growing. We stop stretching. We stop asking, we stop raising our hand and saying, yes, Lord, here am I. Because we go, I'm doing more than everybody else in the room anyways. I'm doing, at least I'm doing better than my sister or my brother or my mom or dad did. You know, I'm the only person in my neighborhood that, you know, just doesn't go out and party all weekend. Okay, so I'm doing pretty good there. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm the only person in my family that, you know, knows how to manage finances. Everybody else is, you know, living off debt and, you know, up to their eyeballs in debt and, and I'm, I'm doing good, so I, I must be doing good. Uh, listen, all those things are good, but God didn't... God didn't do those things in your life so you could compare yourselves to other people so you would feel okay. Hello, somebody. Well, my marriage is doing pretty good. Everyone else is having problems. No, no, no. (laughs) It's not so we can just live a good life. There's more to it 
than us just learning how to do some of this stuff. There's eternity. And God wants us to have an eternal perspective, and that's hard for us because we do not get eternity. We just don't understand it. We understand temporal. Everything we know has a beginning and has an end. Everything. Everything we know. Lifetime guarantee? Yeah, your lifetime. <laughs> like we don't understand. We don't get eternity. So it's hard for us to grasp. But all I know is that eternity should motivate me because the kingdom of God is something that, 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 that he has prioritized where he says, seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, you who are temporal minded, shift your thinking to be more eternal minded because everything you do in this life is going to impact eternity and you're going to be possibly an answered prayer to someone else. But are you raising your hand and saying yes? Or are you raising your hand and saying, here, Lord, here am I. Send me, use me. You've given me gifts. I'll be used by you. Or have we made this thing just all about us trying to just be good people? That's, there's something much more than us, something bigger. It's going to require that we actually think less of ourselves and more of others. And it's going to require us to intentionally sacrifice because this is not about us. We will need to think more about eternity and less about what, what is temporary because there are signs everywhere, man. There are signs of God moving in the world. He's doing amazing things. There are signs of God moving in our church and doing amazing things. The evidence is all around, but here's the beauty of this message is that there's an open invitation to you and me to get to be a part. So what is your part? What is he calling you to do? Maybe today this message, being here, hearing this, maybe watching this online or watching it in a replay or something. Maybe today was your sign that God wanted you to hear this message for this time because he's wanting to wake something up in you that has been sleeping. Something that he's put in your heart before. And you know that thing, man. I don't know that thing that he put on the inside of you. I'm not going to pretend like I do. God knows and you know. And God's waking that thing back up. He's stirring that thing back up. And you're like, oh yeah, there's that gift. There's that thing. There's that opportunity. What does he want you to do with that? What's your next step? Maybe today was your confirmation that you're called to live for something greater than yourself. Maybe today God did something in you that you didn't even come here expecting. Maybe you just came to church to appease a spouse or because you felt guilty or you're looking for answers or direction. And maybe today you heard the message of Jesus Christ preached that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sin and my sin. And you haven't quite stepped over that line and made that decision to give your heart to Jesus. And maybe today is the day of salvation for you because you make that declaration both in your heart and out of your mouth that Jesus is my Lord and I want to trust in him as my Savior. Maybe today you got that for the very first time. And before, before today, maybe all it was was just a bunch of religious noise. And today something made sense and it snapped. 
Maybe today is the day where you're, you've been kind of far away from God in your own mind, but he's been right there with you. But in your own mind, you thought, man, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. He's been right there. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And he's been pursuing you, and he's been knocking on the door of your heart. And maybe today is the day that you go, you know what? I'm ready to say yes to Jesus today and take my faith seriously. Maybe today is the day where something is stirred in you that hasn't been stirred in a very long time, and it's time for you to say yes. Maybe there's an opportunity in front of you, and he wants you to say yes to that. I don't know what God is doing in you personally, but my encouragement, my exhortation to you today would be to live in light of eternity, to be available, and to recognize the power and potential of saying, yes, Lord, here I am. What do you want me to do? So, Lord, we want to pray for a minute and just ask you to keep doing what you're doing by your Holy Spirit. Um, I just pray for everyone in this room, everyone in the commons area, everyone watching online. I pray, Father, that you would move right now where they're at and grip their hearts in such a way that it would shake them to the core to where they would be willing to surrender and that they would be obedient to what you're speaking to their hearts to do, whatever that next step is. And I pray you would give them the courage and stir within them, Lord, reminders of how faithful you are so they will be able to trust you and step out in faith knowing that you watch over your word to see that it's performed. And I pray, God, you would just show your faithfulness to us once again, and you would stir in us, Lord, a deeper trust as we grow in not only our understanding, but in our application of truth, in our application of being obedient when you speak, when you lead, when you present opportunity. May it change us and those around us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.